We are live. I'm Step 3.0, and today I'm speaking with my friend and Epicenter co-host, Sonny Ackerwall. He's also the co-founder of Osmosis, the greatest DEX in the interchain. And we're gonna be talking about a whole bunch of things today, starting with mesh security and how it aims to radically shift the security model in the cosmos. We'll also talk about the Osmosis ecosystem, permission Cosmosm contracts, and Adam 2.0, why he's not so bullish. Before we get started, make sure to subscribe, hit the like button and the notification bell to get notified when we do new live streams every week. My guest, Sunny Agarwal, is coming up next, right here on The Interrupt. Hey, Sonny. Hey. Welcome, uh, welcome to the Interop for the first time. I mean, no, actually, you, I mean, you were kind of on the Interop uh, at Cosmoverse, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but like, actually, properly uh, doing you as as an interview. So uh, yeah, thanks for doing this, and um, I think it's gonna be interesting. Thanks for the. Um, I, I'm just gonna say in the intro, I'm not, I never said I'm not bullish on people. No, I actually am bullish. On <laughs> uh, we gotta we gotta get people hooked, right? right okay. <laughs> you gotta make it spicy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so what's going on? How how you been since Cosmoverse? Uh good. I've uh, been getting back to reality a little bit. Uh you know, took like a took a few days off after Cosmoverse, just went, you know, around Columbia a little bit. Um and then yeah, this week we're having a, a lot of our team is here in Berkeley just grinding away on a bunch of stuff, uh trying to get a lot of cool features shipped by end of year. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's dive into some of those cool features. Um, yeah, by the way, I mean, like, what, what was your kind of takeaway from uh, from Cosmoverse? Like, you know, two two weeks two weeks out now, you know, when the dust has settled. Um, what, what do you what do you think? Um, I think just you know a lot of really cool growth in Cosmos. Definitely a lot of people interested in like I think like a lot of the projects that are building stuff on top of osmosis are really like starting to get to the point where they're almost ready to deploy now you have like mars and Levana, and you know a lot of these like all these projects are like really like you know i think we're gonna in the coming like month or two we're gonna start seeing a lot of deployments happening really quickly we're already seeing that some of the you know a lot more contract deployment proposals uh going on to osmosis these days so um yeah so just excited to see those and then uh otherwise um you know, I think just been a lot of interesting discussions around Adam 2.0 and stuff. I think like the, it, it, I feel like it, um, more, con it's a little bit more controversial than I, I, I guess I had originally expected it to be. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I think just in general, everyone seems really excited about mesh security as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's interesting that, that we have really kind of two visions here that, um, I think, uh, aim to achieve similar goals, but that are just in the implementation so, so different. And um, yeah, I, I, I do agree that it feels like since Cosmoverse, Adam 2.0 has just monopolized the entire, like all of the attention in Cosmos, like everyone's talking about it. Like we did, um, uh, we did a podcast here like two days ago, uh, kind of debating um, from the community side and from the hub side and, um, lots of really interesting insights. And like, I see people, like people are sharing, like, here, I'm going to pub publish this blog post about Adam 2.0. Like, what's your feedback? And like, everyone's kind of like trying to position themselves um, about like how they, about their, their opinions of the, of the proposal. And I think like the main kind of takeaways for me is, and that maybe I, I think, I think the ICF, like, okay, for, first of all, like, you know, this is a, a huge document, you know, like a ton of work went into this paper. Um, you can't discount like the amount of work and research and, um, you know, that, that went into this paper. So like, you know, the, the, the authors definitely like deserve some, some, uh, uh, some praise for that. Um, I think where, where things failed maybe, and, it, you know, I want to say like in true ICF fashion is like the communication around it wasn't great. And particularly, I think that they've, 
I think I think they they kind of failed to make it clear that this was a signaling proposal and that, that this was meant to spark a discussion rather than like this is a thing that should be taking the face value and then we're going to implement it. Like I was saying on the podcast, like Zaki's talk should have had like draft written all over it, and the paper should all have like draft written all over it, and it should have been like this message should have been just like hammered, like hey, this is we're putting this out there now we're going to talk about it, which is exactly what's happening, but just like all of the kind of you know, um, negative feedback and, and pushback, I think comes from, yeah, this, this kind of weird, you know, feeling people have, I think in regards to the ICF and like how, how it communicates and it's not so transparent. And, you know, I, I really hope this changes, but I feel like that was kind of a missed thing. Um, you know, Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, let's talk about mesh security. Um, you guys implemented it, or at least you implemented like um, well, a, a a a a preliminary version of mesh security at the at the hackathon um, right after Cosmosm. Yeah, uh, very very proof of concept. But yeah, yeah, definitely get Yeah, but there, there's a repo, there's code, there's contracts. So like you know, and people are contributing to it. Um, yeah. yeah, like what's mesh security for those who missed the talk? Uh, you know, we'll link to the talk, but like give us a high level. Yeah, uh, mesh security is this, you know, it's the kind of the entire point of how Cosmos uh, shared security was designed from the get go, which is like, you know, we want, you know, we've always been building up this world of sovereign app chains. Um, and now it's time for, you know, we need to get more secure. You know, everyone, every time we talk to someone about this app chain vision of like, hey, you know, a dex app chain a lending app chain you know a gaming app chain all these things are going to happen and then people are like what about the security of these like you need an l1 for security uh you need to like you need base level ethereum level like a level of security and it's like so that's always been like a question of like oh how is that going to happen in these app chain world and the answer now, now that we have is well all these app chains are going to secure each other like you know maybe any one app chain might not have the same security as like an L1 with like base moneyness and stuff, right? But like all the app chains together will have enough security. So, you know, the an example, you know, I gave uh, was, you know, if you look at like the market cap of the highest money asset, it's gold, right? Uh, it's like $11 trillion, but the market cap of the 10 biggest uh, companies, like stock market caps uh, added together is actually more than $11 trillion. So this like, the, the sum market cap of all the app chains companies is higher than the money, which is gold, right? And so I think that we can get higher economic security by all these chains pooling security together in almost like a NATO style model, right? Like NATO is like sovereign countries, like, you know, uh, France doesn't go intervene in, you know, the UK's internal politics but it's it's a mesh of security alliances that if any one country gets attacked they all rush to each other's defense and so this is kind of how chains will work as well where they all are sovereign have their own governance systems but they should all be like sharing security with each other in a a, a mesh system and not necessarily all chains secure uh share security with everyone else what happens is chains share security with the ones that they have economic dependence with, right? And so an example would be Osmosis and Axelar. So Osmosis makes up over 70% of Axelar's entire TVL right now. Meanwhile, four out of the top 10 assets on Osmosis come via Axelar, ETH, DAI, USDC, and WBTC. So it's like, okay, these two things are so economically intertwined it would really suck for Osmosis if Axelar got like attacked, right? Um, so it is in Osmosis's best interest to help provide more security to Axelar in the same way that it's in Axelar's best interest to help provide more security to Osmosis. And so these two chains will want to do shared security with each other. And so our entire view here is that like these economic dependencies and reliances are what's going to lead to security alliances as well. And so, um, you know, and then obviously, uh, which chain in Cosmos does almost everyone have some economic dependency on is Osmosis. So obviously, you know, 
from Osmosis' perspective, we're hoping that we, there's ways to turn the, our economic relationships with all these chains into valuable security relationships as well. Yeah, okay. But Sunny, these are all just fiat economics. You know, this doesn't really secure anything. All the validators are the same. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good thing, right? That, that shows that like, hey, the teams here are like, you know, there's high overlap in communities and like economic stakeholders, which gives more reason why there should be like a mesh of security systems across these chains. Imagine a validator does something malicious on one chain. They should probably be slashed in all the other chains as well. You probably want validators to be correlating their identities across chains. Um, and then, you know, the goal here and the fiat economics are important, right? Because how do you take over a chain as you buy up enough of the tokens to do a one third attack or a two thirds attack or something, right? And, you know, if you increase the economic cost of buying up that one third of token, that's that is how, you know, this fiat security is literally I mean, that is what proof of stake is. That's the entire point. Yeah. Um, no, I was I was being facetious there. I was yeah. trying to trigger you a little bit, but <laughs> uh, you've been through this before, I think. Um, yeah. So I've only some of the proof of stake as concept for the last six years. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> what are some of the non-obvious like properties that emerge from mesh security? Like, what are the things at the edges that emerge that you know maybe just like looking at it here, we're not you know really seeing, but if mesh security does um, become, you know, sort of the norm in the interchain and we have like all the chains securing each other, like what kind of other properties you think might emerge? Um, positive or negative? Both. Okay. Uh, positive, I think it will like, you know, increase the ease of interacting between chains. So, you know, instead of having to think about, oh, what is the security uh, threshold of different chains, you know, we, part of the whole claim of like Ethereum, oh, it's easier to compose. It's not actually easier to compose from any technical level. What makes what what they mean is they say it's like you don't have to think about the economic security levels of different rollups because they all use the same security. So first of all, that's not really true, but um, like that's the claim at least. And so the idea is by having this mesh system, it's sort of like you know, make the economic security levels of all these chains much more uh, closer to each other. And that will make it easier to do like more um, trust free or not trust. Yeah, more carefree, I guess, uh, cross chain composability. Um, so that's like one of the benefits. A con that, you know, what we've so, you know, like uh, the like informal team had actually been working on like stuff that like kind of leads to this, but they kind of actually paused because on like interchain security B2 and B3 because they ran into some roadblocks in the architecture, uh, especially things around validator centralization and chain takeovers and all this kind of stuff. And so what we were able, what we had to do was like figure out solutions for these things. And so, um, you know, it's still an open question of like, hey, will this lead to too much validator centralization where it's like, it makes it so like the few validators that know how to run on 50 chains will get like unfairly benefited from mesh security or, you know, how do you make sure that a, a giant chain doesn't just come and t entirely take over a tiny chain and stuff. So I think there's a lot of like open questions and I think our mesh security design has like answers to those questions, but obviously these are theoretical answers that we, sometimes it's just hard to know everything until we start put it into practice a little bit. Yeah, I think that the, the validator centralization thing is is the thing that I haven't really fully kind of wrapped my head around yet. So like in, in your talk, and I've heard you talk about this in other places as well, where you say that um, we should stop thinking of validators as the as the fundamental unit, but we should think as delegators as the fundamental unit. Yeah, um, I kind of get that. But at the end of the day, the validate like from a governance perspective, but like a, a validator infrastructure company is an identifiable, like um, capturable, you know, like by regulation or whatever entity. And and also there's the uh, there's this idea of also like infrastructure centralization, where like if you have you know most validators on AWS, like practically speaking, if AWS goes down, the chains go down, right? Like mm -hmm. delegators are not going down the same way that validators are going down. Yeah. Um, am, am I missing something here, or like what, yeah. is is it, are we operating on the same semantics here when you're talking about the fundamental unit? 
Sure. So I, I guess like mesh security is this like high level idea that chains should be sharing security with each other. But keep in mind, there's actually different types of security, right? There's like economic security, there's infrastructural security, there's like, you know, and so like, I think the validator level is more like infrastructural where, you know, one thing you want to do is maybe get validators to start correlating identities across chains. Um, and that way, you know, let's say one validator does something malicious on Osmosis, they should get slashed on Juno and Axelar and UIDX and everywhere, right? And that's like more in that's more at the validator level. And I think that's a good idea. The worry is to get incentivized validators to do that when you give them some re incentive to correlate their identities. And if they get some incentive to do that, that's what we're worried about leads to validator centralization, which is why we actually put that model of mesh security like on the side right now. That's not what we, that's not the version of mesh security we're building right now. I think we can build that, but like that we do have to answer these questions about validator centralization. That's why the version of mesh security we're mostly focused on is this cross-staking model. Cross-staking is this idea that like delegators, I can choose to cross-stake my Osmo on Osmosis that's staked on Osmosis to also help I can stake it on a different validator on Juno. It's it, th There's no benefit of like one validator running on multiple chains in the cross-staking model of mesh security. This is all just about adding more economic security to all of these chains. So um, that's why, so in, in, in the cross-staking version of mesh security, there is no like, you know, notion of validators correlating identities across chains. Okay. So in this version of mesh security where validators correlated identities across chains. So the goal here is like, let's, um, let's create an on-chain uh, kind of identity where like, we know that this address, so like interrupts validator on FMOS is like the same as this other validator over here. Um, you know, like that might be obvious by just looking at the list of validators, but we want to make that like an on-chain sort of representation because you might have like different validators that have different names. Um, you know, if you're trying to obfuscate your identity, that might be the case, but we want to incentivize people and we want to incentivize validators to actually correlate their identities across chain. The, um, the idea here is that they would receive more, they would receive an incentive and financial incentive for doing so. But at the same time, like the, um, the risk is that like they get slashed across different chains and chains yeah. need to coordinate around like this slashing uh, in your talk, you, 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 I've heard you talk about this before, but basically you're saying like that this kind of already exists, right? Like if there was a big enough attack by a validator, we would, you know, we would use governance or we would use some other mechanism to, 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 to apply some kind of penalty. Um, but here just, we we're moving that penalty to like an on-chain mechanism that like essentially just like, you know, runs through consensus. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, let's maybe like, let's walk through how this works. Cause you, you, you guys have like a really good, um, flow chart thing here. And like, I'd love to get into like, technically, you know, mm -hmm. what are the different steps here? So, you know, for those listening on the, on the audio version, uh, you, know, you should check out the YouTube video. Um, so here we've got like osmosis and Juno and, you know, walk me through the different modules and different contracts that, uh, yeah. that interact here with. Yeah. So, uh for some context, this is actually what uh, we built at the Hackwasm hackathon right after Cosmoverse. Uh, after Cosmoverse, um, I'll be completely honest. Uh, I wrote very almost no code for this. Uh, it was mostly Ethan Fry and uh, Jake Hartnell who like hacked on this like three days straight and like actually got something working. So that was like super cool. And, but, uh, that's really cool. Which is like you know this. Keep in mind this mesh security thing is not an osmosis project. This is just like a idea that we came up with and like. Like the Juno and Confio teams have been like stepping up to do development. More people have been starting to help the development of this. Um, so what we helped with a lot was this architecture. And part of well, here, here's something interesting that we'll say is like what people might notice is that the architecture of this is extremely similar to the architecture of superfluid staking. Because if you think about it, what is mesh security? Mesh security is saying hey, the governance of my chain, let's say, so who's the consumer chain? It's Juno in this example, right? The yeah. governance of Juno gets to say that like, hey, I want to opt in to let this other token that's not my native staking token count toward 
use governance to approve that, let it count towards staking power. We need, but we need to be able. I think we lost Sunny. Let's see if this works. All right. Oh, here he is. Hi. Okay, we lost uh, you there. <laughs> yeah. What was the last thing you heard? Um, you were talking about how uh, you basically you're allowing um, yeah. you're allowing the other chain to to yeah. accept your security. Yeah, so, yeah, so in, in, in cross staking, it's like the, the the consumer chain is making decisions about which other these other token assets, these IBC staked assets, to allow to count towards staking power be slashable, give rewards. Superfluid staking was the same thing, right? It was osmosis governance saying, hey, we trust these LP assets enough. Yeah. That's making a decision about another another token because yeah. it's often paired with something. Say, we trust this asset enough to let it count as part of our staking system, give it rewards, and have it be slashable. So one thing, well, we are one of the reasons we were able to like, you know, architect this kind of quickly uh in like a day in less than a day was because it really was taking our super fluid staking design that we had spent mo like weeks months on and we kind of just like broke it up into a number of contracts and uh have you know added this like ibc barrier at, at it somewhere but like it, it, a lot of it was really the same design so okay so what do you want me to do you want me to walk through this entire slide deck you're muted Sebastian, you're muted. Yeah, so I think that here that what we can do is say, okay, uh, let's start here where Osmosis approves cross-chain staking and yeah. um, enables this uh, Cosmwaza meta staking contract. Okay, um, so here yeah. what happens is Juno is the consumer and Osmosis is the provider in this situation. Keep in mind, mesh security, the idea is that we'll have this instantiation and we'll have the same thing going in the other direction. Right. So this is one side and then we'll have another side at some point. All right. And so then at some point, um, osmosis... yeah. So Juno says, Hey, they use governance to say, we're going to let osmosis osmo cross staking count. Uh, and then they'll put some cap on how much maximum this is to prevent like the whole chain takeovers. So, okay. They cap it at 10%. What it does is it deploys a contract on osmosis. That is like this. Oh, sorry. On Juno, it's a mesh consumer contract. Uh, and then this mesh consumer contract basically deploys a corresponding contract on the other side, which is called a mesh provider contract. So if you go to the next slide. Um, and then this mesh provider contract, uh, it has like a Juno, it has a, a special plugin to another contract, which is like all the specific details about how, like, you know, about Juno, right? Because, and like, this is to so that we can add more consensus protocols, more types of slashing conditions and stuff over time. So this is called the slasher contract. Um, and then, you know, it opens this trusted IBC channel between the contracts. And what it does is it allows. I can't see the slides. Hello. The joys of being in the woods, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, maybe it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's maybe the best thing for me to walk through these slides right now. I think these the walkthrough was available on YouTube and we can have some have people walk, walk through it because it goes pretty technical. But the idea is basically, I, th I think the general high level idea we wanted to show was that like, look, what it does is it allows you to take Osmo on Osmosis that is staked on Osmosis, say, hey, I am going to, opt into an additional slashing condition and back this validator on Juno. And then that information gets transmitted over IBC and 
and the Juno system will accept that as voting power. And then yeah. if any slash happens, it'll send that information back over IBC, or you can submit the double sign evidence directly to the contract on osmosis. The reason you don't want to depend on IBC for the submitting of slashing is the whole point here is we're trying to deal with a Byzantine chain. Like what if Juno goes malicious and it starts censoring the evidence, right? So what we want is the ability for uh, like double sign evidence to be submitted directly to osmosis so it doesn't rely on the liveness of the judo chain for slashing purposes um, yeah yeah okay and and so and so when when this is implemented the the provider chain so who, who's who's getting incentivized here like the validator the delegator and also the chains are are who's who's making money from this operation so the delegator the cross stakers are the ones who are getting rewards basically right they it's basically they get treated as stakers um so similar to how in superfluid staking right if you are superfluid staking your pool one shares it's counted as like hey this is being treated as this much osmo worth of stake right yeah. and you're getting staking rewards as if you stake that much osmo it'll be the same thing here where okay but so it's less right so with superfluid staking you're actually making less you, you take a little penalty. Yeah, you take a little discount on that, right? Yeah. That's, that's good, right? You know, especially for cross-staking, we want, you know, if you want to be maximally exposed to osmosis, you should be pure staking osmo. The cross-staking Juno to secure osmosis is like a benefit. It's a nice bonus that Ju Juno stakers get. But like, you know, you still do want people to natively stake the assets that, you know, let's say they're the most bullish on. Yeah, well, well, I'll link to this this flowchart in the show notes. People can look at it. Also, link to the repo. And if people want to take a look at the code and all the contracts. Um, so when when this happens, then Juno is benefiting from essentially having Osmo staked yeah. to secure Juno. So this is, I think, like the mind shift that people need to have is that they're no longer securing. Um, they're no longer securing Juno with Juno. They're securing Juno with Osmo. Juno. Um, what are the implications here for, uh, say, chains that have less security? So, you know, like in the interchain, we have chains that are more secure than others, and we have chains that are less secure than others. So, yeah. how do we how do we reason about the the security implications that this has um, for chains that are maybe taking security from other chains that are like less secure so um like yeah so a chain that's like less secure getting security from a bigger chain i think the benefits are obvious right they get way more economic security but a big chain why would they want to take security from a smaller chain right i mean like i said the whole point is you, it's not you shouldn't necessarily have to think about it as a one-to-one -one thing this is a mesh right and so even if like let's say like a big chain like osmosis gets security from 10 smaller chains uh, you know, maybe that could meaningfully double its uh, security budget. So, you know, it's often like, hey, people are like, oh, why does the U.S. does the U.S. get anything out of NATO? Isn't it like U.S. is just the only one providing anything to NATO? It's like, yeah, sure. Like the U.S. maybe has, you know, outsized influence relative to any one other country in NATO. But like the, the sum total of NATO is like, you know, the U.S. definitely gets benefit from like the sum of all other NATO countries also helping secure the United States. Yeah, I actually have this here <laughs> in my notes. NATO example, the US is the biggest security provider. <laughs> yeah, but like, is it like more than, is it, it's not 90% of the security budget of NATO, right? And it's like, it's yeah, still a benefit. I'll, like, you know, there's a reason it's a, it's a security alliance, not a empire colony model, right? Where mm. the security still does flow bi-directionally, multi-directionally. Yeah. Uh, no, this is cool. So, what is the um, what's the rollout here? Like, when should we expect to see this on Osmosis? And like, are there other chains that are already thinking of implementing this as well? Yeah. So, I think um, like Juno and uh, Eve, which is like Notionals, like uh, uh, Canary Chain that they're building. I think the, there's a number of chains that are like planning on implementing it. I mean, realistically. I was not expecting for development to even begin until hmm. well, January. Because like I said, we have, you know, at least from the Osmosis Core Dev team, we have like a roadmap that we have that was like 
you know, planned until December. Um, and we were like, we're like, okay, we're going to pick this up in January. Uh, but like I said, people were just so excited by the concept that they're like, no, 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 we want to start working on it this weekend. So um, I, I, I mean, I, realistically, we're not going to see anything live at least until next year for sure. Right. Yeah. But at least the, I think the development has already kicked off and we're going to hopefully see it. I don't know. I, I imagine we're going to see like a prototype live definitely within like the first half of 2023. Okay. And what are the, so one thing I was thinking about here is like, maybe I got to commit to shaving my head and maybe that will help move it faster. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that no, no, here, no, no, here on the inner off. Sonny is committed to shaving no. his head. <laughs> um, so what are the implications here? If you want to do, uh, if you want to do liquid staking, but you don't want to do it on osmosis. So, Let's say you've got your um, you've got your you've got your Osmo staking over on Juno, uh, but you want to use that staking position um, on Quicksilver, you know, to like generate some liquid staked asset on Quicksilver. Could you do that, or is it going to be somewhat? Is it going to be like a lock-in? One more time. Sorry. Yeah. So 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 you've got you've got Osmo. Yeah, Mad Cat knows that you're going to shave your head, so he, he he's our witness. Um, if um, if if you've got uh, Osmo that is staked on Juno, right? So you're you've got a staking position on Juno, uh, but you want to generate a liquid staking uh, token. So you can you take that 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 share that staking share that's representing that Juno stake and like move it over to Quicksilver and generate a liquid staking asset? Is it is it the same as if you had just had Juno stake there, or or is it sort of some sort of yeah. like already some sort of staking derivative? No, so 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 keep in mind with staking derivatives, how they have to make it fungible is it, they need to make sure that all of these staking derivatives have the same slashing properties, right? And yeah, so yeah. that means that like anyone who's let's say you're holding um, Quicksilver uh, Atom, or let's say Quicksilver Osmo or something, right? Like yeah. You, they everyone is holding that has to have the same distribution of delegation to which validators, right? It's actually like okay, you know, twenty percent chorus, twenty percent, yeah, you know, it's drop, twenty percent sicka, whatever, right? But now it's like they're well, distributing cross, the risk. Yeah, but now cross staking is also part of a slashing, slashing uh, portfolio, I guess. Let's call yeah. that, right? And so we have everyone who has like. Uh, Quicksilver Osmo. Now, you know, the Quicksilver system also has to make the decision about all the cross-staking that happens as well with Osmo. So that way everyone can have a fungible position. So, you know, potentially this is going to increase even further increase the like decision-making power of these like liquid staking providers, which is, you know, a, a trade-off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have to digest that a little bit. Um, can you turn off your WhatsApp? Uh, it's uh, it's like chiming in here. I think it's WhatsApp. I I, I think it's off. Oh, okay, weird. I'm hearing I'm hearing some WhatsApp noises. Anyway, yeah. Um, okay. So, so potentially we could see these cross-staked assets as part of a risk pool for liquid staking uh but they do need they would need to onboard them like technically that's a little bit more cumbersome than onboarding just using like the staking modules uh shares right um is it is it feasible or is it like you know Liquid staking will only work with natively staked assets. No, no, no. Liquid staking will work here as well, right? It's just that okay. all the, the all the liquid staked Osmo will also have the same cross staking uh, distribution as well. Mm, okay. And what if I say so? What if you've got some Juno and like Juno Osmo uh, liquidity pool, right? And you've got some bonded um, some bonded tokens in the pool. You've got bonded Juno on osmosis. Are you going to be able to stake those on Juno? Even like, like sort of like, like, like liquid, like some kind of fluid, super fluid staking, but that goes cross chain. Oh, well, yeah. Super fluid staking cross chain. If you remember, <laughs> we had this exact idea. All right. All right. So I would say even met, even cross staking this idea we had 
in some proto version last year with interfluid staking, right? Mm. So what was interfluid staking? Interfluid staking was saying, hey, we have this like, let's say Osmo AKT pool on osmosis. Yeah. And it's super fluid staked on osmosis. Why can't we also have that counterword security on a cash network as well? Mm. And that was that is cross staking, right? It, but instead of cross staking for native asset, it was cross staking for a super fluid asset. So interfluid yeah. staking was exactly this idea of like cross staking plus super fluid. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of funny that we actually had this like cross staking idea for this more complex thing of super fluid. And then we're like, wait, we can actually use this for the native assets as well. Okay. Yeah, I, I had forgotten that we had already interfluid staking. Um, well, we don't have it live yet, but that was this idea that we had. And I think now, like, you know, it takes some time. Like, you have all these ideas, and then they all just, everything just starts to click. And you're like, oh, of course. There's, there's like, one unified framework that explains all of these uh, things. Yeah. No, this is super cool. Um, I'm, I'm, and I, like... and I, I do think like, interfluid staking is an important part of how osmosis is, like, you know, makes itself more uh, essential to a lot of these chains where it's like, hey, look, all you, all you Cosmos chains, you already use Osmosis for your liquidity and yeah. you have all of your tokens on our, our chain. You should, you should be okay with using us for your security system as well. And so it's like, you know, I think there's this interesting relationship that's going to happen between liquidity and security. And do validators need to do anything different or are they just running the same software and nope. they don't have, validators don't have to do anything different? Okay. And, but validators can't also opt out of being uh, like, if they're staking on the chain that has, that has mesh security enabled, like a validator doesn't really have an incentive to opt out of it. No, it's no. just like, as, it's just like as if someone staked more on you. Yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. Uh, very cool. Yeah, well, I'm mean, looking forward to seeing this develop. Um, as uh, as you said, next year. When when are you shaving your head? <laughs> no more no <laughs> shaving. <laughs> so yeah, when, when we talked on when we talked uh, in in Medellin um, when we did this episode with Cryptocito, you were talking about permission smart contracts, like permission cosmosm, and I've been thinking about this ever since. And like, I mean. Yeah, what what's the idea here, and like, why do you think all the chains should just enable Cosmosm as a as a like default permissioned uh, system? Yeah, because I think like Cosmosm, like smart. So the Cosmos SDK is like very powerful, but very dangerous because you are writing like native code, code right, and this allows you to do a lot of really cool things, but it's, it's, it's dangerous. Meanwhile, Cosmosm is this VM system, right? It's like a nice sandboxed environment that you can do like, it's way less, it's not as powerful as an SDK, but it's, you know, because of the sandboxing and everything, you, you, you can, the attack surfaces are actually much lower for logic that's written in the SD, in Cosmosm. Because if you write a new Cosmos SDK module, we have to do like a lot of auditing to make sure it doesn't go like screw with like another module in an unexpected way and stuff, right? Because it's all Go code. They can all call each other. Uh, we built this like object capability system to kind of help, but it's not as good as the sandboxing system of VMs. So that's why it's like for new logic, it is just so much faster to like hack on it and like get a MVP and like start building it on Cosmosm. And more importantly, it's so much faster to review it and feel comfortable adding it to a blockchain. And so that's kind of why we've come to the conclusion that we're, we treat, we've how we've started to think about things more is that, hey, let's treat the Cosmos SDK as like kernel level code, right? Like when you're like, yeah. Build, OS, it's like, okay, yeah, you need to do some kernel level programming. But then a lot of the like application stuff that stuff that doesn't need, you don't give pseudo privileges and to like things that don't need it, right? And that's like, yeah, most things in Cosmosm and then use the SDK where we really need to, like how we do transaction fees and how we do like parallelism and how we do like, you know, all this like really interesting staking stuff. Like that can be in the SDK, but like a lot of Let's move more of our logic into Cosmosm. And 
you know, osmosis, we actually have now, not in, this, in the next coming upgrade, we're, we we're going to have our first module that's uh, in Cosmosm, which is IBC rate limiting. And IBC mm. rate limiting is a way of like, you know, we can say, hey, we only want maximum of 20% of this uh, IBC channels TVL to like flow out every six hours or something. So that way, if there's ever a hack or something, it's like, okay, we're capped at the amount of losses, right? At 20% or something. It gives us time to pause the chain or whatever. Um, and so it's like a similar situation here, but, but it's like, okay, we, we're like, we're just going to write this in Cosmosm. It's way faster. And if other chains want to adopt this uh, IBC rate limiting module, well, they got to adopt permission Cosmosm so they can add it to their chain, right? And like, mm -hmm. and so... We're taking them very much as like, and the same thing happened with mesh security, where we're like, hey, all these all this mesh security stuff that we wrote at the Hackwasm, we wrote it all in Cosmwasm. And I think what's going to happen is like more and more of, especially this like whole interchain composability stuff is going to start to be written in Cosmwasm just because it's faster, not not faster from an execution perspective, actually Cosmos SDK is more performant, but I mean, yeah. faster from a development standpoint. And, you know, I think the composability is just going to, and chains that don't opt into this kind of stuff use permission cosmosm they're gonna like not miss out on all these like cool things like rate limiting and mesh security and stuff and i think you know it's just gonna be an incentive for chains to all start to adopt some permission cosmosm and human has it should be permissioned because like you know we don't want every chain to just turn into a generalized smart contracting chain it should be like but it should be you know governance and add new functionality as you know, as needed without having to go through. All. And the cool thing, another cool thing of Cosmosm is you can add functionality just via governance proposals rather like than having to like do a software upgrade and upgrade the chain every time you want to change, add a little bit of new functionality. Yeah, no, I mean, all, all that makes sense. I'm, I'm so is, is there a point where, cause I mean, you mentioned the, the performance benefits and obviously like writing a, um, uh, Cosmos SDK module is going to benefit from much better performance because it's closer to Tendermint. It can interact mm -hmm. with Tendermint directly through ABCI. Yeah. Um, it has native code. Uh, you have, it, it, you have right, it has, uh, control over how your like storage and database and everything works. Yeah. Right. So is, is there a moment where, say, you know, let's say mesh security, let's say mesh security gets adopted, you know, it's like widely adopted across the interchain and, you know, we realized that like, hey, there's there's a there's a benefit if we write this as a cosm as a cosmos SDK module. Does it then make sense, or do we just like keep kind of trying to optimize this contract? Um, mm -hmm. You know, when does this like quickly written you know like uh, code become uh, core enough to start building uh, modules? Yeah, I mean that's a good question. Um... I guess we don't know yet. We haven't hit those bottlenecks yet. But, you know, I mean, there's two answers. One is we definitely have to improve the performance of Cosmosm, right? Like Cosmosm today, like, honestly, to me, at least, the storage is a little bit of a black box. Like, I don't know how... It's, first of all, I know it's like JSON serializing things. And, like, you know, I don't know how the Merkle tree is working underneath. And it's like, okay, you know, we probably should go and improve all those kinds of things. And like, I think we can get the Cosmosm performance to be like much closer to the SDK. I don't think it will ever be as good as the native mm. SDK, but we can get it much, much closer. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I think maybe some things maybe should be rewritten in the Cosmos SDK, especially like things that happen very regular, like that are extremely important. Uh, one cool thing about how Cosmosm works that like is as a they have this concept of pinning contracts, where what that means is like, hey, a contract that's used so regularly, governance can pin it, and what that means, it'll store that contract in memory, and so that mm. way it doesn't have to keep pulling from the every time that contract needs to be called, it like doesn't pull it from the the contract uh, bytecode from the database every single time. It's held in memory just like cosmos sdk you know go code is always held in memory um it's like validators and node operators are holding this contract in memory yes exactly and so that way it'll that will definitely help improve the performance and stuff so yeah long story short i think there's a lot of work that we can do on like improving cosmosm performance um to get it closer to the sdk and then there are if things really do need to be moved into the sdk and that is like the big win we we, we can do that as well um mm. And our team has been working a lot on like improving this whole Cosmosm SDK 
experience overlap because I, I think like you know a little bit of what happened was there was this little dichotomy which was like there were some teams that know cosmos sdk really well and which some, teams are those you know everyone who's like helped most of the teams know cosmos sdk pretty well right like you know your regen who like builds cosmos sdk yeah, yeah. our team had forever only been doing stuff in cosmos sdk then you have some teams that know Cosmwasm really well, like the Juno team, right? They, I think they know Cosmwasm really well. Uh, the Confio team, obviously, you know, they built the thing and they, they obviously know the Cosmos SDK pretty well as well. But like all, most, you know, the chains that they've launched, like Juno and T-Grade and all these things, they are like very thin Cosmos SDK chains, not much customization there because they've decided to build all of their logic in Cosmwasm. Yeah. Osmosis, we're like one of the first few chains that, you know, we don't have a thin, we have a really complex Cosmos SDK uh, stack, right? We all of our AMM logic and everything is currently in the Cosmos SDK, but then we also have this Cosmosm thing. And so when we started doing stuff with Cosmosm, we're like, wait, so much of the Cosmosm like developer tooling and everything was really assuming a very bare bones Cosmos SDK chain and assuming that all the stuff is going to be built in Cosmwasm. And that's just not how we're building, right? We're building like half in Cosmos SDK, half in Cosmwasm. And so we've had to spend a lot of time in the last like, you know, few months, like really making that UX of like interacting between Cosmos SDK and Cosmwasm much, much better. So we've like built this library called Osmosis Rust, which is like a general lot. Eventually, we're this is all going to go into a what we, a product we're calling Beaker, which is like the um, we you know we intended to be like the the hard hat for for Cosmosm. Hard hat is like the tool uh, a tool that everyone in Solidity uses to like do all of their testing and scaffolding and everything, right? So Beaker will become that. So that it in, it'll include like ways of Cosmosm contracts calling SDK modules. It includes a brand new Cosmosm testing framework that we that we that we uh, created because um, earlier like it was weird. What was happening earlier was like the uh, popular Cosmosm testing framework is called CW multitest. Mm -hmm. What they expected was every time you write an SDK module, you would effectively rewrite it in Rust so that you can test it. And like, that's kind of crazy, right? We're not going to like rewrite our code twice, once in Go and once in Rust. And so our, our new testing framework, we have it so we can actually test, you know, we can write our contract in Rust, but, you know, the modules in Go and we can still test them against each other. So, you know, our team has, had to, has been doing a lot of this like, work in like making this like two universes sort of come together into one cohesive developer experience so so this beaker thing um you know for for those like me who are like more used to like web 2 development what would that be analogous to in web 2 would it be like a react or more like a what like um yeah kind of like a react uh no, more than no not really a react it would be more like um to be honest, I haven't done like web development in a long time, but yeah. uh, like you know, it's the. I mean, look, if you've done Cosmos SDK stuff, right? It's like Starport, but like okay, awesome and right, okay, so like kind of a CLI scaffolder, CLI uh, scaffolder framework, but, okay, yeah, but also very importantly, a testing framework, right? Like right. that's like yeah. the like so you have. In Ethereum, people coming from Solidity, you have things like Hard Hat and Foundly, Foundry or or Truffle was like the really yeah. popular one back in the day. This I think Status also had one. Also, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so so this is what you guys are building, and this doesn't exist yet in Cosmosm. Like, there's no real. No. Yeah. It. it yeah. Because I saw like Larry Zero X, I saw him tweet this thing today. I wanted to ask you about it. Um, is this CW SDK roadmap he's tweeting about? Is this what is, do you know what this is? Yeah, Larry has this idea that we, he wants to rewrite the Cosmos SDK in Rust. Okay. Um, and he wants to like rip out all the Go and just like make everything in Rust. Um, it's okay. You know, I mean, Look, the is it, isn't informal also kind of working on this, or aren't they writing like big parts of Tendermint and? Yeah, so they're rewriting Tendermint in Rust, right? That's, okay. That's, 
I, I, you know, I wish Larry Rutlock. I think it's a fun project. I just don't think. I think the Cosmos SDK has been in development for like five years, over five years now, and there is just so much that goes into building an SDK. Yeah. You have to like, it's not just the execution state machine, right? You have to build like signing systems. You have to build RPC. You have to build like, you know, there's like, it's it is a massive task that took like yeah. years to build and. You know, we think that it's easy, and you know, we're not saying the SDK is perfect. I promise you, it is not. There's a lot of room for improvement. But I think it, you know, I think it'll be much easier to fix the issues with the SDK than it would be to like try to write a new framework all from scratch again. Yeah, that that, that seems like a massive undertaking. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to get some from. I want to get someone from Informal on to. Um, to talk about like this tenement rust thing. Um, yeah. Let's try to see if I can get someone. Um, yeah. One, one thing I, I think I tweeted about this and I was asking like, if you have permissioned Cosmos, uh, Cosmosm on your Cosmos chain, and then you also want to have permissionless, does that, is that like the same namespace or should the permission stuff be kind of segregated and separated for security reasons or, you know, well, should the so the permission list stuff be able to call the permission stuff? If you have permission list, I don't see what why you would have permission uh, at all, right? It's okay, a, but there's no security issues of like having these kind of core contracts like Osmosis, right? You've got like, you know, your mesh security contracts and stuff like those. Um, you know, like if if you're no. thinking of like software development, there's like namespacing and sort of yeah um no because certain things yeah it's like cosm that's kind of like what i meant by this whole like security permit like uh sandboxing of vms is like vms contracts are sandbox like are private by default and they need mm. to expose uh right okay causes us decay is the opposite it's kind of like everything is a little bit public by default and you need to like build in security systems perimeters around things so it's like yeah yeah if you if you have a permissionless system it's fine you don't need to have a separate permission cosmosm system because every sandbox every contract is already sandboxed okay so with cosmosm you don't have the same composability as with like uh solidity contracts no no you do it's just that like okay. what i mean is like you let's say you have a mesh security contract right you can't it's not like any contract can just call in, like, you know, it's easy for a contract to say, oh, I only want these contracts to interact with me. Okay, here's an interesting feature that is built into Cosmosm. It's really cool. It's called a pseudo message. So what that is, is it's a contract. It's a it's a function in a Cosmosm contract that can only be called by the Cosmos SDK. So you can't have another contract call it and you can't have mm. an account it and so this is how ibc rate limiting works where right. you know we have this like rate limiting contract we don't want it to be called by any other contract or by a user that's not what it's for right so what we do is we use a pseudo message so that the ibc go module in the causes sdk it can call this con this function in uh in this IB in this rate limiting contract and only you know an sdk module can call that and so that's like that's a really cool feature that like fry had added into that cosmosm that will like that really makes it that that's what makes it possible to write i would say core modules of the mm. in cosmosm because you know they can only be interacted with by other core modules from the sdk okay that's really cool i, I had no idea yeah i mean like i i I don't code Cosmosm contracts, so like it's helpful to be able to ask these questions and understand how it works um, compared so to like. The the there's, there's a big lack of like tutorials and like uh, for Cosmosm, where there's a lot of tutorials that teach you the first uh, thirty yeah, percent of like Cosmosm. The hello world. Yeah. yeah, the hello world, or a little bit, you know, the intro stuff, the basic stuff. There's not a lot of tutorials that teach you the complex stuff, like the pseudo. Is Confio doing this Cosmosm Academy thing? Yeah, they are. So we'll see how. Yeah. You know, I'm hope hopefully that will that will be like the thing that will like, do it for me right now. How I do it, how I learn Cosmosm is I like every time I get stuck on something, I read through the Mars contracts and the Dow Dow contracts. I'm like, oh, okay, that's how they did it. I'll start doing that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's probably also how I would try to 
how to try. <laughs> I mean, that's also how I learned to code <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, um, that and Stack Overflow. Um, so yeah, I want to I want to talk a little bit here before we wrap up about um, kind of you know osmosis versus Atom two point oh. Um, you know, we we do have to make this a little bit spicy, right? Sure. And um, like Jim Jim from from your team like posted this tweet. Uh, I think like late September, kind of basically describing and comparing the the same tenants in cosm in, in in osmosis and in on the cosmos sdk and so like there's liquid staking interchain security mev and and bootstrapping and both adam uh 2.0 uh proposal and osmosis have very different views about how this is going to work I and mean, we've already talked about mesh security but i think you know the the um, and then like staking derivatives and superfluid staking i think it's kind of easy to wrap your head around um, how, how are you guys looking at MEV and how, how differently are you approaching MEV compared to like this interchain scheduler, uh, that's proposed by Adam 2.0? Yeah. So, you know, one of the big things we're doing with MEV, I mean, one, there's two things, right? Um, so at, at the Nebular Summit, I gave my talk call, uh, on MEV, right? And it was, you know, I think the takeaway of that talk was the goal is, mitigate bad MEV, internalize good MEV. And so, you know, we've always been talking about this like threshold decryption stuff. I think I have so many talks on it. We've about like, you know, that's how we mitigate bad MEV, right? You want to stop the sandwiching and front running and all this kind of stuff. Um, but what, what does it mean to internalize good MEV? So there's some MEV that the bad MEV is the one that's like you're doing actions based off of someone else's transactions you see their transactions in the mempool and you act upon them and that's like a privacy breach and that's like why it's bad but there's some things that you can do that aren't based off of reading other people's transactions it's just based on reacting to the state of the world and just being the fastest right like so for example a liquidation right that's like a it's not bad. It's actually, if anything, it's actually good for the health of the network. You want liquidations to happen um, or even arbitrage, right? Like there's, a, let's say the price of Atom has moved on in external exchanges and like, you know, someone needs to arb the price of Atoms on osmosis, right? And it's like, that's not bad. It's not like no one's being harmed by doing this, right? It's like, again, it's a good thing. You actually want prices to stay in sync. Um but there's still a there's still profit to be made, and it's a race to who can get that arbitrage profit. And so these are like good MEV systems. And what we want to do is make sure those that profit gets internalized into the protocol and gets like given to Osmo stakers. Um, you have we, what we're trying to avoid here is like not have systems like Flashbots, which are these like extra external to the protocol, like these like I mean. You know, I, I use this term called validator cartels in the sense that it's or minor cartels, right? It's like an off, it's an off chain coalition of people who are like doing this when instead, you know, all of these auctions and stuff. So, what we call them, what we're working on with, um, so this is where Skip comes in, where Skip is helping build tools for internalizing good MEV. And so, what that means is they're doing a couple of things, right? They're doing one, the proposal that, that that recently went up was about building an on-chain arbor. So this is for, you know, there's pools on osmosis and sometimes they go out of sync and then there's an arb opportunity to resynchronize the pools. Like do a sort of, you know, you, you, you sell Osmo for Adam, Adam for Juno, Juno for Osmo, and you get a little bit more Osmo by doing that. Um, and there's a lot of like off-chain arbors who are playing this game right now. Uh, to be the first to do that. Well, the protocol can do that itself and capture that revenue, give it to Osmo stakers. So that's like the first thing Skip is going to build. Then the second thing is like, okay, but you know, that only works for internal ARBs. That doesn't help you ARB against external markets, right? So oftentimes there's a lot of value in being the first transaction in a block. And so we call this top of the block auctions where, you know, what we should do is sell off the rights to be the first transaction in a block and that way you know people can bid on it on chain and if they win that bid they'll be the top of the block and they can get be the first to execute arbs and whatnot so you know th there's like value in these uh things and building these in protocol is what skip is doing and like 
you know, effectively, you can argue that they're basically being the joint. They're like going to be a core dev of osmosis and building like functionality into the osmosis core protocol to do this kinds of thing. Mm, so this top of the block auction thing, then the revenue from that top of the block auction would go also to stakers. So when you say when saying like internalizing good MEV um, or wait, yeah. are you internalizing bad MEV or good MEV? Good MEV. Good MEV. So internalizing good MEV is kind of like leveling all like covering all the bases and leveling the playing field at a protocol level and then capturing the revenue from from that and like giving it back uh in in you know be, because you can right because like with osmosis you can i think with i think with cosmos and especially now with interchain security it's harder to see exactly what that stuff is because like you guys have a specific like osmosis has you know very specific use cases and you can kind of target the mev that you see there whereas with with cosmos there's gonna be like tons of chains there lots of mev opportunities and so i think where the scheduler makes more sense here is okay like we don't know what those arb opportunities are going to be let let the market decide and let the market figure it out by having like these like block future block yeah. auctions so, future rock so, space so let's talk about the scheduler right so there's two interesting things about the scheduler um one is this idea of it being a futures market that's an interesting thing that i haven't really heard of and it's one one worry is it's hard to know like buy block space for a much a future block and like try to know how much mev is going to be in it it seems on and then it seems that you know all the profit is going to go to this secondary market of like reselling future blocks rather than like more just in time sales when the value of the mev is more known so that's like a I don't know. That's that's an interesting thing. We'll we'll see how that actually like plays out. But the general thing is that like this whole idea of the interchain scheduler is it's hard to see which chains are going to opt into this, right? Like something like Osmosis. I don't see why would Osmosis opt into the Cosmos Hub's scheduler and give up instead of internalizing the MEV to Osmos stakers, giving it to Atom stakers, or even like interchain secured chains even them like you know i've been talking with the neutron team and even they are like yeah no we have we don't plan on using the interchain scheduler because you know part of the value of the neutron token was we're going to internalize the mev into the neutron token and so it's like i feel that kind of one of the whole points of build one of the benefits of building an app chain was to be able to internalize mev and it's unclear why who's going to be the user of the interchain scheduler and like opt into not internalizing their own MEV. So that's like a big question. Um, yeah, I think they need to they need to clear up like what the incentives are here. Yeah. So and, here's a, yeah. I think here's the most interesting question about how cross chain MEV is going to work. Maybe there are benefits to having a singular market. Okay, so there's two options here. Let's say every chain has its own top of the block auction, right? Let's say, you know, Osmosis has its own, Juno has its own, whatever, right? If you want to do an arbitrage between these markets, like between Osmosis and Juno Swap, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. You have to win both of the top of the block auctions. And that's like harder and it's like more unclear like oh what if you win one but not the other now you just wasted winning that bid and stuff right so that's yeah that's i would say the the null hypothesis that's the default of what's going to happen and i think that's probably how things are going to start off but there is benefit you know maybe to what if like these auctions were joint in some way right like what if you could say i want to bid on to be the top of the block of both osmosis and juno and yeah. if I don't win both, I don't want to win either because that's yeah. not worth it for me. Now, you know, the causal sub says, oh, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And the allocator, the scheduler module, it's like, okay, and then that profit goes to Atomo. It's like, no, 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 okay. You know, everything's a mesh, right? So it's like, the question is like, okay, I think if, if it is beneficial for Osmosis and Juno to have a, a joint top of the block auction, they should do that and the value should go to Osmo and Juno holders. But the question is, how is the revenue going to be split who has the, is it going to be split 50-50? Is Osmosis going to get a higher portion of the revenue than Juno will? Because, you know, I mean, the liquidity on, on us, you know, it's more likely that Juno's swap is being arbed relative to Osmosis rather than the other way around. And so it's like, yeah. okay, how is that revenue split going to work? Is there like 
a formalized model for how we define fairness in these like joint auctions and stuff. And like, I think that is one of the most interesting questions and like open research problems that I think came out of Cosmoverse or, you know, I guess like I've been talking about it with the skip people for a little bit, but like, I think that we had this MEV panel at Cosmoverse. And I think that was the first time we kind of like shared this open, big open question publicly. And so I, I don't know, I think this will be an interesting research topic for a while how do you do revenue splits of joint auctions yeah i, th I think the mev topic on on cosmos and so like interchain mev is like so interesting and i've only just kind of started <laughs> diving into it i haven't paid much attention to you know i sort of like you know follow the flashbot stuff a little bit but like not that much but then you know i had this interview with raps a couple of weeks ago and he just like totally opened my mind to this and then like hearing you talk about it so um yeah, I, I think this is something I want to cover a little bit more on the podcast here. Maybe I'll get the skip people on. Mm -hmm. um, cool. Well, listen, uh, I think I think we can wrap it up here. Uh, it's been an hour. We didn't really get to talk about Osmosis ecosystem so much, but um, maybe we can we can save that for another time. Um, so I'd like to try something here. Um, okay. Maybe this is this could be like a recurring thing. Who should I get on next? Who should you get on next? Um, yeah. Have you had Dogemos on? I have not had Dogemos on. Dogemos would be a good person. Have you had... Okay. Um, Specifically uh, about what? Just like Kepler and UX and how, like building cross-chain wallets and like, it's all, yeah, all this sort okay. of... Okay. Um, have good. you had any like, Mars team on? I have not, but it... So we were supposed to do it next week, but uh, but we're, I think it's going to be pushed back a little bit. But yeah, they're, they're due to come on as well. Cool. Right. Uh, and Mars. I, mean, I think Gitopia is really cool, so also get them on as well. Who? Gitopia. It's GitHub. Gitopia. On GitHub. Oh, GitHub. okay. This is cool. Okay. I know you would really like that stuff. Yeah. Those are those are three great suggestions. All right. Well, Sunny, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll get you on again. I know we'll get you on again for sure. Very time. Some, sometime very soon. Um, thank you for listening to yet another episode of The Interop. Uh, we do live streams every week. Uh, please follow this channel. Subscribe to this channel to get notified when new live streams go live. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Step 3.0. I tweet about all kinds of things related to Cosmos and the Interchain and sometimes uh, some other stuff. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for joining and we'll see you next week.